Uh, we're going to step out of the book of Acts. We've been studying through the book of Acts. We're up into chapter 9, but that's going to hold off until next week. Today, since it's Communion Sunday, we're going to take a break from Acts and we'll be looking at the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. Verse 24 is where we'll start. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. We all make bad decisions. If there's anybody here that hasn't made a bad decision, just please raise your hand. We'd love to worship you. Because, I mean, you, you must be God. Because everybody makes bad decisions. Some decisions are worse than others. I was reading some news stories uh, just in preparation, and I read a story about a guy who happened to have a fear of spiders. Terrible fear of spiders. Well, he was at the gas station filling up his car, and he saw a spider there next to his gas tank. Well, his preferred method for dealing with spiders is to burn them with his lighter. His fear of spiders overtook his common sense. He lit his lighter, and that's not the only thing that lit. Nobody was injured, but the gas station uh, did get set on fire. That was a bad decision, wouldn't you agree? Very similar to this, the young man, North Dakota, coming of age, 21 years old, decides to go out and get drunk for his 21st birthday, goes and does that. He and his buddy decide we're going to go down to the zoo, climb the eight-foot gate, and put our hand in to try to pet a bear. Well, his arm is still attached. The doctors have, have worked on his arm. The bear did die of food poisoning. No, no I'm just kidding. The bear did, did not die of food poisoning. That was a bad decision. It's a bad decision. Well, I wrote down some things that are things you might say, six things you might say just before you make a bad decision. Number one, I deserve to be happy. You might just say that before you're about to make a totally selfish and bad decision. Number two, especially for the youth sitting around the edge, something you might say before you make a bad decision is, everybody's doing it. Everybody, come on, ma, everybody's doing it. You might be saying that just before you make a bad decision. Number three, I will if you will. <laughs> Number four, YOLO, you only live once. So some of us know what YOLO means, you only live once. And that might be the end of it right there when you say that. Something dangerous is about to happen. If you say that, it might be a bad decision. Uh, how about this one? I'm just being honest. You might be getting ready to say something you shouldn't say if you're starting the sentence with, I'm just being honest. And this is my favorite. I don't care what anybody thinks. You might say that despite common wisdom, but despite friends trying to help you, despite people speaking a truth into your life, and you say, I don't care what anybody thinks. It might be what you say just before you're getting ready to make a very bad and stupid decision. 
So we laugh at those things, and those could lead to bad decisions. But what would be the worst bad decision you could make? Well, it seems to me the worst bad decision would be the bad decision that affects every other decision from which no good decision can come would be the worst decision, wouldn't it be? The worst decision would be the bad decision that affects every other decision in your life. If that one is wrong, if you leave the starting gate and go the wrong direction, you'll never get to the finish line. So that first decision would be the worst decision because that first decision was in taking you in the wrong direction. To me, that would be the worst bad decision. So that brings me to Matthew chapter 7 and what many call the parable of the two builders, uh, the parable of the two houses. I think in this we have an example of what I would call the worst bad decision. Many of you are familiar with this parable. It's one of my favorites. It's one I come back to often in my own life. It's right there at the end of a sermon that Jesus preaches. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. He gives uh, multiple versions of this uh, sermon and this parable. Luke records another version of it. It's not exactly the same, but it's similar. Uh, Maybe you understand that Jesus didn't just preach this sermon one time. He probably preached it a number of times. And so that's why we can have a, a slightly different version of the parable recorded in Matthew versus in Luke. But either way, we've read the parable. Uh, it's come on the heels of this sermon, and Jesus knows the challenge with any sermon is to hear what's being taught and then to actually put it into practice in your life. Especially when what you're being taught is different than what you might have been taught previously. The people hearing the Sermon on the Mount were used to what the Pharisees had taught. The Pharisees had a form of outward religion but they neglected to actually do the things that God wanted them to do. They loved to be seen. They were hypocrites. Everything was outward. Everything was superficial to be seen for what other people thought. But then when it came to actually responding to the truth, to God's character in their lives, well, they didn't do it. And that's why Jesus had most of his very difficult words to say to these hypocritical Pharisees. And so as he ends this, recognize, if you just look back, from chapter 5 on through chapter 7, you'll see some of the things that Jesus talks about in these chapters. This is where he talks about things like forgiving so that you can be forgiven. This is where he talks about things like blessing those who curse you and loving your enemies and not just doing things to be seen. This is where he talks about the narrow gate and the wide gate. This is where he talks about false teachers. This is where he says, judge not that you not be judged. You, you've heard it was said that, uh, you know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek to them. If someone asks you to go one mile, go two. These are the things he's taught them. And now he's finished his sermon and he gives this final parable to challenge them in terms of what they've heard because what they've heard is going to challenge them deeper than what they were used to with the Pharisees He's going to try to bring them past superficial religious practice to actually obedience to the Word of God. And he gives this astounding parable about these two builders. Again, he says, I liken this person, the person who hears and does. That's the issue, is hearing and doing. And so there's really three main elements. I'm going to kind of summarize. I may refer back to it, but I think with our time, I'll just kind of summarize things for you. There's really three elements. The three elements would be a builder, 
a house, and then a storm of some sort. A builder, a house, and a storm. And within those three basic elements in the parable, there are some choices. There, there's a builder, but there's a wise one and a foolish one. There's a house, and there's one with a foundation and one without a foundation. And there's a storm in both scenarios. So there's two builders. They build different kinds of houses, or at least their, their houses are supported differently. And the same storm comes to both. And the other big difference is what is the result in the story. One part of the story, everything is lost. And the other part of the story, everything is saved. So those are the main elements. The question is, are we really talking about building houses? Or we have something else. Does Jesus have something else in his mind when he tells this parable? Sure. That's what a parable is. A parable means to put something you understand alongside of something you don't understand so that you can learn the thing you don't understand from what you do understand. That's what a parable does. He teaches it to you in the natural realm so you understand the spiritual implications. So in the natural realm, Jesus is talking about builders. And we understand building. How many of you have ever had a house built for you? You move to Lake Monticello, retire here, you buy a lot, you build a house. Or maybe you've known someone else that built a house. Maybe some of you are contractors. Now, the, the common everyday knowledge of building is that if someone came to you and said, you know what, I just want to share something with you. I'm going to build a house. Oh, that's fantastic. We're going to move down to Lake Monticello. Nice golf community. There's some, you know, it's water and it's water skiing. All that. It's wonderful. We, don't, we want to move there, but it's really expensive. And, and we don't really have a lot of money. So we were thinking as we looked over our budget, this whole basement thing, this whole foundation thing, it's really expensive. And it's all underground anyway. Nobody really sees it. So we were thinking about just leaving that out. We'll just build, right, we'll just put the two by fours right on the ground. And we'll build off of that. And then, uh, and, and we'll be, what do you think? Is that a good idea? What would you say? That's ridiculous. It's preposterous because you and I both understand that in the natural world, if you're going to build something, it has to have a firm foundation under it. We know that. And Jesus knows that they knew that. And he knows that we know that. So everybody's a builder. Everybody's building. The whole world is building. I'm not talking about houses. I'm talking about a life. I'm talking about an identity. I'm talking about meaning and purpose. That's what you're trying to build into your life. People are trying to figure out, where do I go? What do I do? What makes my life valuable? Who am I? What does my life mean? That's what a builder does. That's what the parable is speaking of, your life. You are building your life. And every day you make decisions. And every day you try to decide why to make the decisions you make. Now, I went with a friend to the mall yesterday. Uh, I wouldn't suggest it, but we, it had to be done. Not my favorite place to go. But we went to the mall, had to buy a few things, getting ready for our vacation coming up, and uh, found ourselves at the mall. We're in a store and just was milling this whole thing over, getting ready for this morning, and thought, you know, I'd love to just ask, you know, Johnny on the street. What, what do you think about this kind of thing? And so we're checking out, and there's no one in line behind us, and there's really not many other people in the store. So we take a few minutes and, and say, hey, a couple of young girls behind the counter, do you mind if I ask you a question? And they're like, no, sure. I mean, you know, where's the bathroom would be a normal question. You know, where, where do, how do I get to this store? No. But Steve comes out and says, um, what is your life built on? And there's this bong, you know, like I dropped a bomb right on him. 
Who asked that kind of question in a clothing store, you know? Who asked that kind of... But it was like, I'd never thought about that. And the, the, to the two girls looked at each other and like, and so I kind of elaborated, like, what, you, what is there a foundation in your life? What is your life built on? And the one girl was just like, look, man, I have never even thought about that. I got three jobs. I work seven days a week, and I don't have time to think about that. I'm like, well, you've really thought about it. You just haven't realized you've thought about it. She's got something she's building on. She's got to pay bills. So, so there's something underneath of that. There's something underneath. And that's what we're looking at in this parable. What's underneath? Let's pull back the surface and look underneath. The other girl actually really took time to think about it. And she kind of said, well, I think family values provide a foundation for our lives. I thought that was a good answer. The question is, what provides the foundation for your family values? You see, you've got to go back even deeper than that. And most people, you know, we live in, and I think you'll agree with me, we live in a fairly superficial society. Most people just do not take the time to think deeply. Most people are just acting and reacting and getting on with life and just trying to survive and no real codified process for making decisions. I just do, well, whatever I feel like. Well, there's a codification of a thinking process. Feeling is what your foundation is. You make decisions based on feeling. Now, wait a second. We're talking about two houses here. One has a firm foundation. The other one was built without a foundation. Actually, it was built right directly on the sand. Luke says, just built on the earth. I like sand for this parable because sand is shifting. Sand is not stable. It moves. It changes. So anytime you build on something that's shifting or unstable, what kind of life will you have? Please tell me you understand. You will have an unstable life. And there's a lot of people in our world who lack stability. We call them drama kings and drama queens. How many of you, just out of curiosity, how many of you are tired of drama? We are tired of drama. And I almost titled the sermon, how to get free of drama. Because first place you got to start is with you and the drama you create. Because you're thinking, oh, pe people are always bringing drama into my life. Well, they're looking at you saying the same thing. I'm not the cause. You're the cause of the drama. I'm not the cause of the drama. You're the cause of the drama. Well, there, there, you got drama. And we all do it, but we all hate it. So how do we get off the treadmill of drama? Well, you got to have a stable life. You got to build on something. You've got to think about what it is you're building. So here's some unstable things that people try to build on, that people make decisions from. It's, one is feelings. We talked about that. Your feelings change. Think about how you felt about something three years ago, and maybe now you feel different about it. You've grown up in three years. You've come to learn some new things. Your feelings have changed. For young folks, it's, I just love him. We're so in love and then we're going to get married, and then three years later, I can't stand him. We are at each other's throat. What happened? You used to feel like you were in love. Now you don't feel like you're in love anymore, anymore and that's why you can't build your relationship on feelings, because they change. What about culture? Does culture change, or is culture stable? Yeah, <laughs> you can answer that question. I have pictures from the 1980s that show you culture changes. I've got parachute pants in my closet just waiting for the trend to come back. They're going to be vowing to sell them on eBay, really expensive. Parachute pants, and I got that one glove, the Michael Jackson glove, somewhere. 
We wore that stuff. And that was, society honored that. Society said, that is cool. But now society says that is weird. And now there's a bunch of other new weird stuff that society says is cool that's going to be weird again next year. And if you try to keep up with the trends, you're going to go crazy and you're going to be unstable because the trends are unstable. So it's not right. And you'll go broke, right? It's not wrong to buy current clothes and stuff like that. You know, it's not wrong to do that. But the point is, if you're making all of your decisions and building your identity and building your life on being culturally relevant, if we're building our church on being culturally relevant, now this word right here has everything, is always relevant to my life. I don't have to work for it to be culturally relevant. It just is. But there's other things churches do. They get caught in this trend and that trend. And we've been around to see even trends in church culture change, haven't we? Some of you have been walking with the Lord long enough to remember the prayer of Jabez, the purpose-driven life, Honey the circle maker. And we go on and on, all these different things. And they're not bad in and of themselves. But I've watched pastors who are not building on actually doing and hearing the Word of God take their congregation in every which direction, whichever trend is coming down the road next. And you can't build on a solid foundation of church trends even. Feelings, trends in culture, relationships. What if you're building your whole life on a relationship with that guy or that girl or, or, or children? Kids then leave the house and you end up in what's called a midlife crisis. Why? Because you don't know who you are. You spent your whole life being mom and now they're gone and now... You, you know, you go through this midlife crisis. Why? Because your identity was based on your kids and a relationship with them. Or someone breaks up with you and the world falls apart. Why? Because that was your whole life. And I share this passage this morning because I want to see you and me have a stable life. And God tells us where to find it. And you have to ask yourself, what am I building on? So the first thing you have to do is examine yourself. Say, really, what is at the core of my, am I living for my kids? Am I living for enjoyment? There's another thing to build. Why don't you try your, your building your life on being happy? That changes. You're just never happy. You know, you buy the new technology. The new technology makes you happy for a while, but then there's newer technology, and now the old technology that used to make you happy doesn't make you happy anymore. You need something new. And new stuff makes me happy. So that's even contentment would be a solid foundation. Happiness, these things don't, they're no, there's nothing wrong with them. They're, you just can't build a life on them. Why? Because they, they change. If something changes right under your feet, it causes drama and it causes instability. And that's why when something happens, you ah, oh, you know, the bottom's dropping out. Because why? Your foundation is gone. So the opposite of that, Jesus says, is there's this guy who built on the sand and, and the trends changed and relationships ended and he wasn't happy anymore and new technology came out and, and his feelings changed and boom, that had an effect. The other side is to build on a solid foundation. So think about it. What in the world is lasting? What lasts? You can't build a foundation on your health. That doesn't last. Everybody over 60 is going, ah, we know that, pastor. You got to be tough to get old. It's not easy. You can't build your life on that. No matter how many smoothies you make and how much spinach you eat and vitamins you take, you're going to die. So just get ready for it. You can't say, I didn't know. It's just a fact. So you can't build your life on trying to stay young. For anybody that's over 60, say amen. 
Hey, tell the, tell the younger folks, you can't build your life on trying to stay young. You're not going to be young forever. You're not going to be young. You enjoy it now because you won't be it forever. So you've got to have something else. Jesus says the difference is those who hear my word and say, nah, I'm going to do it my way. Actually, here, let me give you the two things that are at the core of all of building on an unstable foundation. Number one, fearing people. And number two, loving yourself. Those two things will cause you to have an eternally unstable foundation. Fearing people means always trying to please people. That's where culture, that's where even your feelings get messed up by that. Fearing people means trying to please them or loving yourself. Loving yourself. Why? Because yourself always changes. You are not stable. Just in and of yourself. So if you make decisions based on self, loving self, doing for self, or other people, you're going to go crazy. You're going to be full of drama in your life. But on the other side, the firm foundation, fear of God, faith. Jesus says it like this, whoever hears my word and does it. Hears my word and does it. Not hears my word and teaches Bible studies about it. Hears my word and reads it in the Bible. Hears my word and sings songs about it. Hears my word and carries a Bible. I mean, there's a thousand things you could add. But at some point, the world understands that we believe certain things. And they're waiting to see if we actually will do them. They're waiting to see, do we really believe what we say we believe? To hear Jesus say something and to do it takes faith. Faith is really, it seems like it'd be an unstable foundation, but because it's faith in a stable God, that makes your foundation, your identity, your life stable. No one can take your faith from you. No one can take your God from you. They can torture you. You can go bankrupt, and they can't take your God. And the Word of God endures forever. Presidents come and go. Trends come and go. People in your life come and go. But God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. The grass fades, the flowers wither, but the Word of God endures forever. What else can you find to build on that endures forever? I can't think of anything. But remember, it's not just agreeing with God's Word. This is where, we, this is where the church has to wake up. It's not just agreeing with God's Word. It's not just going, amen, pastor, we believe it. It's actually saying, reading the Word and finding out my life doesn't line up with that. I need to do that. I need to do that. James said it. Be not hearers only, but be doers of the word. It's the doer. It's not the hearer. You can come in here, hear sermons. You can be here every week. You can be involved in Bible studies. You can sing in the choir, and it can all be superficial. Unless, as I think it's uh, that Matthew says it. No, maybe it's Luke that says it. You have to dig deep. The person who is a wise builder digs deep down to bedrock, and that takes work. This, the foolish builder, hey, everything's above ground. It all looks beautiful. Everybody else looks at your house and goes, wow, nice house. Because a foundation is underground. A foundation in your life is invisible. No one else knows it other than it holds you up. And it never actually gets tested until a storm comes. That's when the challenge comes. And that's when you really see what you're built on. And so the storm comes to both, right? It doesn't say, you know, the wise builder built his house, dug deep, and never had a storm. Praise the Lord. Life was easy. There's not, no guarantee as a believer that storms aren't going to come in your life. Matter of fact, it's the opposite. You're going to go through difficulties. The question is, will you go through difficulties with God or without Him? 
you're going to go through challenges. There's going to be things that, that challenge your foundation, that shake you to the core. And I've watched people just get shaken, shaken, and I've watched people stand firm. The storms come. And I think the ultimate storm, I think what Jesus is talking about here is the judgment. When a person stands before God in judgment, if all of your life has been external, if all of your things have been religious and nothing deeper, just like the Pharisees, everything they did was to be seen. Beautiful house on top. Everybody said, ooh, look at those spiritual guys. But they never actually did. Jesus starts this off in Luke's gospel by saying, why do you call me Lord and not do the things I say? It's a false profession. You say, oh, Jesus, you sing Jesus is Lord, you know, whatever you sing. And then you go out here and you don't do what he said. And that's why he tells the parable. To call me Lord means that you're giving up rights to your own life and you're letting me call the shots for you. And he would say to you, I am the Lord, I changeth not. That's the King James Version. Changeth, you hear me sneak that in there. I am the Lord, I change not. And I say, I'm Steve, I change all the time. I need something firm to stand on for working in my life. Maybe some of you have had surgery. What if you were going to have neurosurgery? And the surgeon comes into the operating room while you're still awake, introduces himself, and he comes roller skating into the surgical suite. He you know, comes rolling in his roller skates and says, hey, I'm here to do your, your surgery. I'm like, oh, get those skates off, man. When you're operating on me, I want your feet on solid ground. Because all in one push or one knock, and he goes down, the scalpel goes flying, and brain matter, done. You know, I wasn't using that part anyway, but... You know, that's, that's a little risky, right? Why would you risk that? But I ask you the same question. Why would you risk it? Let me ask you this question. Is, is your life stable? Would you say, I have a stable life? I would, are you a person that says, wow, there's always drama in their life? Is there a lot of drama in your life? Maybe it's because you're building it on all the wrong things. The storms come, and there's two results. The guy who took the time ahead of time, who was thinking in terms of his future and not just the present, that was willing to put in the work to put a foundation under his life. He was the one founded on the rock. It takes work to found your life on Christ. A lot of people are still sleeping in this morning. They're, they're kicking back, watching TV. You had to get up and come to church. Poor things. I'd go to church, pastor, but Sunday's my only day to sleep in. That's why we have an 11 o'clock service. And if that's the, we'll have a 1 o'clock service maybe someday. Just, but, you know, that's something, it's another excuse. But it's worth it, isn't it, folks? It's worth it, church. Because that person who's sleeping in and watching TV and, and doing all those things, what's the foundation? And when, when troubles come, that's when you find out you needed it. But then it's too late to put it there. And in one case, everything is saved. When that house has a foundation on actually being a doer of the word and not a hearer only, when actually that faith is demonstrated, that's what James said, faith that doesn't have works attached to it is dead. It's, not, it's dead faith. Dead faith doesn't save a person. Living faith does, and living faith is demonstrated by activities that come from that faith. And when you have that kind of faith that actually lives for God, that does something, then at that time of judgment and during that time of trial, hey, everything you've built is saved because you've built on eternal things. You lived for eternal life. You've emphasized the right things that last. But the person who put no foundation, never gave it a thought, just lived, just reacted on feelings, did whatever, when they stand before judgment, when the trial comes, everything they've built 
what does Matthew say? Let's just read this real quick. And when that, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Can I reinterpret that for you? Everything was destroyed. The whole house came down. In one scenario, everything is saved when the foundation was right because everything that came from that foundation was good, was eternal. The other foundation, or the lack of foundation, when the storms came, everything that had been built was lost. And you, you meet people when they're on their deathbed trying to figure out, did my life really mean anything? Real quick, and then we'll get ready for communion. I remember hearing an interview with a guy who was a uh, paramedic, and he spent time with people when they were just about to die. He would be there in a car accident. They would have a, a mortal wound that they, that they knew they had two, three minutes to live. And he said at first he was really scared when they would say, they would look at him and say, am I going to die? And he would say, no, 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 you're going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. You know, you try to encourage them. And he felt convicted about that. He felt wrong about that. So he began to say, yeah, yes, you're, you're going to die. And he said he saw the peace that sort of came over them when they knew that that was going to happen. But he said they always asked three questions. I'm going to try. I'm just going from memory here, see if I can remember the three questions. Number one, what they want to know is, am I forgiven? I want to make sure. I know I didn't live like I should have. I want to know that I'm forgiven. Tell my family I'm sorry. Number two, I want to know that my life had meaning. That did my life count? That was the second, and I can't think of the third thing offhand. So uh, you'll have to live with those two. But those two were good enough. Going from memory. Number three, I wish I had a better memory. <laughs> that would be a good number three. But I realized as I, um, as I listened to those things that uh, there are three things all offered in the gospel, all offered by Jesus Christ. So we're going to come to the communion table. I'm going to invite Phil to come up. And uh, you have to deal with these things. I'm just the delivery boy. I get to share them. But, but I share these things because I, we live in a very unstable world. And I see people, people are, are very, very unstable. And they're trying to find stability in unstable places. And it doesn't work. Can I tell you, one of the things as we come to the communion table, God's unconditional love is what we operate from. Un Do you know how stabilizing unconditional love is? We don't come to the table because we're worthy. We come to the table because he's worthy. See, if we came to the table on our worth, we'd be unstable. Ah, am I worthy today? I, I, you know, I got mad at the dog. We had a fight on the way to church today. I'm not worthy. Right? Our lives are so unstable. We're, we're at the best inconsistent. But God is fully consistent. And his word is always true. And he invites you based on his merit, not your own. But he challenges you before you come to the table. Be doer of the word. If there's anybody in your life that you're holding a grudge against, you're building on bitterness, you're building on those emotions of anger, you're building on emotions of resentment, then please confess that before you come. We don't want drama. Satan loves drama. God loves consistency. God loves holiness. Satan loves unholiness, bitterness, backbiting, drama, division. God loves holiness and purity and confession and honesty and brotherly love and agape love. And so grab somebody. If you know there's been an issue between you and someone else in the church, there's been an issue between you and someone else in your family, before you come to the table, 
Just say, hey, you know, let's pray together. Let's put this behind us. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And, 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 and then you say, yeah, forgive me too. I was a jerk. I was an idiot. You know, this is what the communion table is for, folks. It's not for you just to be a hearer of the word and come and ignore that stuff. Too long the church has made little of the communion table. And it's time for us to elevate. You come saying, God, thank you for the forgiveness I need every day in Christ. And therefore, I must forgive my brother. I must forgive my sister. If you are unwilling, listen, if you are unwilling to forgive someone, then do not come to the table. Not because God doesn't want you to, but because you don't understand forgiveness yet. You cannot receive the forgiveness of God and be unwilling to forgive your neighbor. And I know that's a hard truth, but it is a truth. The purpose isn't to keep you away from the table. It's for you to forgive that person and restore as much as you can that relationship.